services uh, each week we say a blessing and uh, comes from numbers chapter six and uh, many believe that you know from the day that God gave that text to the, his people and uh, he told them to to say this blessing over one another and to keep doing it and keep doing it and um, Many believe that that blessing, uh, it's known as the priestly blessing, has been spoken over God's people uh, possibly every single day since that day, like since whatever day number six happened, whenever that was, that every single day since then, that blessing somewhere around the planet has been spoken over God's people. And so when we speak it over one another, I think it, it's kind of stepping into something really deep, you know. When we sing hymns like that, uh, it doesn't, they don't go quite back, back quite as far. But to think about, like, I mean, the saints of God have been singing those words to our Savior and over one another and declaring that together for a long, long time. Uh, and so when we sing those hymns, I think in a similar way, we're stepping into something really deep and really, really rich. Um, speaking of deep things and rich things, turn to Isaiah chapter 62. Um, and just kind of hang out there. We're, we'll get to it uh, eventually. But um, started a series last week looking at attributes of God. And um, the attribute for today is, uh, is that God is independent. Um, and so for the next few weeks, we're going we're gonna to deal with some really uh, significant identity issues uh, in regard to who, who is God, you know, what's he like. Um, this past Monday night in community group, uh, in the, we were talking about, our group's a few weeks behind, uh, and we were talking about, um, in Psalm 121, about the various things that we tend to look to uh, instead of the Lord for strength and security and help, uh, also known as idols, you know. And so we were kind of having this discussion about idolatry, basically. And, uh, and I was thinking about how... Uh, in one sense, I was like, man, when I was 20, no one ever asked me, you know, like, hey, instead of Jesus, what do you tend to look to to find, like, to make you secure, you know? No one asked me that stuff, you know? And so you guys in the, in the community group, you're welcome that uh, you're getting, you're getting uh, those questions. And so, um, but I was, was thinking about it, and kind of came, it kind of occurred to me in group, and I've thought about it ever since, and it probably made no sense then, and maybe it doesn't make sense now, but... Um, you know, in Zoolander, when uh, Zoolander's a movie, and uh, it's about uh, it's about a male model, a male supermodel, um, and actually, it's about two male supermodels. And uh, there's this scene where they have this award show for models, which may, which may exist. I don't know, but uh, it might just be a plot of the movie. But there's this award show, and so you have Ben Stiller, who is Derek Zoolander, and he is. Uh, always won the, like, Male Model of the Year award, and um, then there's, like, this new up-and-coming younger model uh, named Hansel, uh, and he was so hot right now, and so um, Hansel 
instead of Derek winning the award, Hansel wins the award, and Derek awkwardly walks up and accepts the award, and it's just this just painfully awkward, brilliant, you know, scene or whatever, and um, and so then he just kind of becomes this laughing stock because he gets up in front of everyone and thanks them for this award that he didn't win, and uh, but he he kind of leaves the the auditorium thing or whatever, and he, there's this really deep moment, you know, uh, not very many of them in this movie, but there's this one moment where uh, he kind of has this identity crisis, you know, because he's uh, he's a male model. That's what he's always been, and he's always been like the guy with the various looks, you know, and all this kind of stuff, and he's kind of just been a male model, and now he's not the best male model on the planet, and he kind of has this mini meltdown, and he ends up looking at his reflection, remember this, in like the, the water in the street, and he has, and he looks at his reflection, and he says, who am I, you know, <laughs> and you can, you feel for him a little bit, because you're like, yeah, the very thing that has defined you this whole time has just been taken away, and you just feel so bad for him. And, um, and then he goes on this ridiculous adventure and whatever, and it's the whole thing. So, uh, but in that moment, like, we, if you think about it, we've all kind of been at that in a similar place where the things or the thing or whatever, where you have always found your worth, you know, and your identity, and, and, and that, like, solidification of who you are, it's been either taken away or it's been changed somehow or something like that. And uh, we've probably all been in a place where we put that in a, in a person, maybe someone we were dating or something like that, or we put it in some sort of possession or some sort of thing about our appearance or some sort of, you know, whatever. And when that gets taken away, you kind of have that a real similar moment of like, who, <laughs> who am I without this, you know? That is a really common thing that all of us go through. And um, while we are wrestling with that kind of identity, our God has never been in that position of wondering who he is. He's never had something taken away from him. He's never had a weird turn of events where he's like, oh, okay, I kind of don't know what's happening here. I kind of don't know what to do now. I need to regroup. I need to look at myself in the the reflection of some pool of water and say, "Who, who am I? Our God has never been there. You and I are there a lot, and we struggle with that. Our lives are built on a relationship with the one who has never, ever been insecure about who he is. He's never wondered. He's never changed. He's, he is exactly who he says he is. And we can know him. And we know him through the scriptures. And we know him in Christ. And we know him uh, through experience and, and in a relationship with him over time. And so for these next few weeks, we're going to be talking about God's identity. Who he is. What he's like. How he relates to us. What, what he what he does and how he does it and um, all these kinds of like fundamental things that we are in search of for ourselves, God has already solidified for himself. So in talking about this tonight, God is independent, meaning that he's, he's not lacking. He doesn't need anything. He's, he's self-sufficient in, in every single way. Um, 
Now, one of the problems that, that comes with uh, theological ideas in an, in an attempt to understand God is we, we kind of, as humans, just kind of get things backwards sometimes, you know. So we are made in His image. Sometimes we end up making God in our image in an attempt to kind of understand Him better, you know, to kind of make Him relatable and Help, help people understand things. And, and I really, I'm a part of the, the group of people that I think have done this the most. I think that preachers and teachers and people in church leadership have, um, have at times like missed the mark on some of the things we're going to talk about over the next few weeks. Um, in an attempt to help, to help everyone understand God, sometimes we've made him into something that he's not. We've taken his identity that he has solidified for us and shows us in the scriptures, and we've, we've twisted that, we've changed that, um, we've kind of made him into something that he isn't. And his independence, I think, has, uh, has kind of showed up in a couple different ways. And um, a few years ago, we, we talked about some of these things in community group, and I went back to some of that uh, material, and um, there, were, there were these five things that, uh, that were in the material that uh, I'm just going to run through really quickly to show you how this has kind of been twisted around. Um, the, I always put this in the general category of um, instead of God being independent, sometimes God is portrayed as being kind of needy, you know. Um, and so these are these five really quickly. Uh, one is that he needs us in order to carry out his plans. I've been to a lot of youth camps in my day, and that was like a pretty, pretty consistent like theme. You know, at least one of the nights was about like evangelism and stuff. And there's just this sense of like, no, like he needs you to share the gospel with your neighbors. He needs you to share gospel with your classmates, that kind of stuff. Kind of painting him as like him, him really being like, hey, I, I need you, I need you to do this. I really need it. And if you don't, then you know, not sure what's going to happen. Um, that he needs us to carry out his plans. Second one, he needs us uh, in order for him to have joy and fulfillment. You know, that that's the reason we were created was, um, yeah, God was really sad, you know, kind of. Like, so he needed someone to love. So he made, he made Adam and Eve, and then they had a bunch of kids, and now here we are. Like, that's why we're here is so that God could have someone to love because he is love, and love has to like, have an, an object you know, to receive that love, and so he made us because otherwise he would just explode with love, you know, whatever. Um, third one, that he needs us to worship him and bring him glory. You know, like he's, like he's kind of like in heaven being like, come on, where is it? A little louder, a little more enthusiasm. Come on, I need it. Uh, fourth one. He needs us to build his kingdom and his church. Like, come on, guys, we've got to build the kingdom. Come on, we've got we to grow the church. We've got to do this. He's, he's counting on us. Fifth one, uh, that he needs us to save people and minister to them. He's like, come on, billions of people going to hell. Better do something about it. I need you to do something about it. You ever heard like variations of that kind of stuff? It's it's not common, and hopefully, if you've if you've gone to this church for our all nine years, maybe before then, hopefully that's maybe sounding a little foreign to you. I, I oof, hope so. 
But maybe if you're thinking back to like youth group or youth camp or you know something like that, maybe you're like, yeah, I've, I've kind of heard that. Like there are some people out there that that that's really the thing, and 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 it comes down to the fact that these kind of things, this needy God, it gets people down the aisle. You know, it gets people responding. It gets them uh, to show up for an evangelistic outreach. You know, it's a effective in that. But what happens is you end up taking the character and the identity of God, which is completely solid, and you end up twisting it just to fit an agenda, and that, that's not good. Um, those things kind of tend to backfire. Um, when, if you think that he needs you to carry out a plan of some sort, evangelism, building the kingdom, building the church, saving people in any sort of way, ministering to them, that's super dangerous because um, it kind of puts us like in in equal status with the Lord, you know, like we're like uh, like we're co-pilots, you know, like we're like the table is round, and he's like, hey, I'm just giving leadership to this meeting, but we really need, we all got to pitch in, we really got to do this in order to get this kingdom going and get this church growing, get some people saved and this kind of stuff. And God's like, come on, who's in? Everybody, everybody in? Everybody in? That's not, how he, that's not how it is. So sometimes this needy God, it, it tends to elevate us, and we end up thinking we're a lot more crucial, you know, that we're a lot more awesome than we really are, and um, it takes the things laid out in the Scriptures, and it just it twists them in such a way that's just really, really dangerous. It also leads to tons of guilt, which is, uh, in, in church leadership, it's just one of the, like, the, the darkest most sharpest tools in the toolbox. It's just going to make you feel bad. So if it's on us, and we don't get it done, this sense of failure sets in, you know? I heard one time uh, that it was spoken to a group of college students that if you're not witnessing to everyone in your classes, you're failing. <laughs> oh, okay, Awesome. I'll see you, see you next Thursday. You know, like, no, that's not, that's not what's going on. That there's this sense of failure and guilt that can settle in when we don't understand the role, we don't understand the character of God. When, we, when he's portrayed as needing us to love or to worship him, it makes him something that he's not. It makes us something that we're not turns certain things upside down, and the next thing you know, you kind of have this really weird, chaotic understanding of theology and the Bible and who you are and who God is, and everything just gets really weird. And then when that becomes solid, it becomes really kind of hard to undo. And so as we go through these next few weeks, this is, we're kind of getting into some really foundational, big ideas about God. First one tonight being, in a very loving way, he doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. He doesn't need us in that kind of way. He is completely independent. Um, we're going to put some scriptures up. I don't want you to turn to them because this series is going to hop around the Bible a good bit, and that's just kind of the nature of, of things. But let's look at uh, We're going to throw these up on the screen. John seventeen five. John seventeen five. And now, this is Jesus talking. Now, Father, glorify me in your own presence 
with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. The, the glory I had with you before the world existed. So before you and I existed, Jesus had all the glory that he would need. So you and I bringing like, this glorifying of him to the table is right and good and healthy and it's necessary for us, but it's not necessary for him. Without our praise, he's still glorified. He's still who he is. That's established before any of us were created, before any of this happened. All that was solid. So he's not needing of those things. He's deserving of those things. And there's a difference. He deserves that glory, but he's not needing it in order to validate him somehow. And that's the thing that sometimes we get twisted. As we make God into our image, we're very needy. We need people to validate certain things about us. So God must kind of be the same way. That's why he wants us to worship him. That's why he instructs us to do that and things like that. It's we're, we're meeting a need that he has. No, we're not meeting a need that he has. He tells us to worship him because he's putting us in tune with what is real. And when we worship him... And there's this peace that settles in. You're like, man, this is, there's a rightness that's here. He's like, exactly. It's good for you. That's why I call you to do it. And he's deserving of that. But he's not needing of that. So that kind of throws out this idea that like, he needs us to worship him in order to, glor- to bring glory. Um, a few verses down in uh, verse 24, Jesus says this. He's praying to the Father. He says, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me, okay, that's us, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you've given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Love before the foundation of the world. So before anything was created, before Genesis 1-1 happened, Father, Son, Spirit existed as a trinity. Uh, We were singing about that earlier. Perfect love between the three persons of the Trinity, not needing anything. You think they're like, man, I know that I'm loved by the Father. And, or, or if Jesus was like, I, I, I'm loved by the Father, I'm loved by the Spirit, but that's just not enough. You know? I really need Josh to love me, and then I'll really feel fulfilled. You know? No, that ain't happening. That's not how it works. He's not needing of love. He had all the love he would ever need before any of us were created. So he didn't make us because he needed worship. He didn't make us uh, because he needed love. Um, In Acts 17, verses 24 and 25, Paul is giving this amazing speech slash sermon type thing. It says, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, um, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything. Since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. So he's not like, man, God really needs you to build these structures in order to, you know, this, 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 and then he'll be happy. He's like, no, he doesn't need anything. He made all this stuff. Why would the, why would the maker of all these things need something else? He's the holy creator of the universe. He's not making his, like, goals for 2015 things he can accumulate or get done. He doesn't need. 
He's independent. He's self-sufficient. He didn't even need to be created. I mean, that's how not needy he is. You, you needed help getting here. I need help getting here. He didn't even need that. That is how self-sufficient our God is. He needs nothing. I read somewhere that God not only does not need anything, but he could not need anything. Like he couldn't. He wouldn't be God if he needed something. He wouldn't be holy if he needed something. And so this independence is a defining thing about his identity. And we have to, like, we have to understand this. It's crucial that when we think about God, we know he's not needy. He's not coming up short. He's not made in our image. We are the needy ones. We are the dependent ones. We are lacking in sufficiency in in our own strength. But he is completely set apart and separate from sin and devoted to his own glory. He is holy and independent, not needing anything or anyone. So he's a pretty secure dude. He's pretty secure. He won't ever have a moment where he's like, who am I? Remind me again, remind me again, remind me again. He never forgets. He's always there. So, before we jump to some sort of application or anything like that, we need to be a little stunned by this reality, you know. be worth our time to ponder this, not in these moments, but in the days to come, maybe tonight, maybe tomorrow, to sit around and just really think about this. Everything around us is dependent on something or someone, but not him. Not the one who tends to you, not the one who oversees you, not the one who is your shepherd, but everything else. He's completely set apart. Now, one of the questions that a lot of that will tend to, to come up in this is incredibly valid. And it's like, okay, so that's awesome for him. What about how does that make a difference in my life? And why are we even here? You know, if he doesn't need us, if it's not about us, if it's if he could build his own kingdom, if he could if he's completely loved within the Trinity, if um, he's worshipped and glorified, you know, whatever, like, uh, why are we even here? You know, what's the point? Well, we went to Isaiah 62. Let's look at that. We're looking at 3, 4, and 5. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no more be termed forsaken and your land shall no more be termed desolate. But you shall be called, my delight is in her and your land married. For the Lord delights in you and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice 
over you. That's why we're here. That's why this matters. That's why God being independent is not something that belongs in a theology book on a shelf in the preacher's office. But it impacts every moment of every day. Because as you walk with your Savior, this is a part of His identity and who He is. That He delights in you. Look at verse 3 again. So he's talking to Israel, and he's talking about this redemption that is to come. We are grafted into this storyline, into this narrative, like a, like a branch that's attached to a tree. And so, so it's, it's right and good for us to be able to grab onto some of these promises. Okay? You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord, a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no more be termed forsaken, and your land shall no more be termed desolate. Okay? That, that, that is... To think of it correctly, is, it's fair to say that's who, that's who we were apart from Christ. Apart from Him, there is a, there is a separation, and there is a, a chaos, and there is a death, that there is a a branch laying on the ground, withering and dying, that apart from Him, that's who we are. And the promises that God is making here in verse 4 is taking them from being forsaken to being called, my delight is in her. From forsaken to delight. That's what happens. That's um, when, uh, when Jesus talks about crossing from death into life. You go, we go from being forsaken and desolate to being delighted in and being married. This is foreshadowing something really deep and significant that is to come. Verse 5, um, For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. He's pointing forward to something really deep and significant that happens. So he created marriage. Uh, for a number of reasons that all fall under the umbrella of glorifying him. But you have a husband and a wife who live out this parable for, one another, for the world and for one another of God's love for us that is a picture of Christ and his church. One of the reasons he created marriage is to help us understand what's going on between the holy independent one and the struggling dependent ones he says it's, it's like a marriage. It's not like a contract. It's not like, a, uh, it's not like anything else. It's, it's cl- the closest thing is to, to a marriage. God doesn't marry us because he's needy. Now, we see needy people getting married all the time, right? And that's a, in our culture, in our day, that, that happens a lot. But with God, the Holy One, he's not like, man, I just, really, I just need to marry somebody. No, that's not what's going on. There is a delight that exists. And hopefully, in a healthy marriage, that's, that exists as well. It's like, why are you getting married? Well, we believe it's God's will, and we just really dig each other. Like, it's just really awesome. Number one priority, 
God's will. Below that, we dig each other. So the independent one marries us for same reasons. It is his will, it is his plan, it is his desire because he digs you. He delights in you. And it's purely that. There are, are people who are creators, you know, artists and writers and poets and songwriters and all these kind of things. Um, and they're constantly they're just creating and creating and creating. And as a musician, you know, I've seen a lot of songs be written and stuff like that. And I know this for a fact, that there are people who are songwriters because if, if, you, could write, if you could write the new, like, Lord, I lift your name on high, you would be a gazillionaire forever. Like, there's so much money in the royalties and all that kind of stuff. And there are people, and it's not to point fingers at anyone or anything like that, but there are people who are trying to write songs to make money because they need money. <laughs> or they need to be famous. Or they need, there's just all these weird motives that are there. But that's what's driving them as creators is this need to have something. And then there are people who just write songs because they love to write songs. They love to write melodies. They love to think of chord progressions. They love to, to write lyrics. They love the process. They, it's just who they are. They delight in their own songs. And if no one ever hears another song, if no one ever buys their song, it really doesn't matter because they just love music. God's not like the first kind of songwriter. He's like the second kind of songwriter. He didn't create you because he needed you. He wanted to use you somehow for his own agenda. He's not weird. It's not twisted. He's not like that. He's pure, and he looks at you, and he delights in you like a, like a groom over his bride. And he's like, I just dig this, man. He just delights in you. So God being independent, it doesn't, it doesn't deflate our existence and make us meaningless. It shoots it through the roof. It's, it's infinite now. Because he didn't, you, we don't have to be here. He didn't have to save you. He didn't have to do these things. He, wa- he wants to. That's the thing. So he creates this plan, and he's like, okay, the kingdom is, is a real thing that people are going to learn to live in, and it's there, and it's going to grow, and the church is there, and evangelism is there, all these things that are there. But it's not because he needs us to do it. He wants us. He's like, I want you to evolve you in this. I want you to be a part of what I'm doing. I want you to walk with me and learn about me and let me shape you and grow you. And let's, let's, just, let's just destroy sin, and let's destroy the kingdom of the world, and let's break all the injustice, and let's do all these things, and let's do it together. Because that's the plan, not because he needs, because he wants, and he delights. Tell me that doesn't make a difference. When you sit down on your bed and you open up your Bible, you know? Tell me that doesn't make a difference in maybe your commute to work or to school. Tell me that doesn't make a difference when the band begins to play some songs. It's massive. A few weeks ago when Matt preached, he referenced this verse. This is the last verse we'll look at, and then I'll close. 
You don't need to turn to it. It's Zephaniah 3, 17 and 18. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Let's just leave it on this verse. Look at it again. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. And you're thinking like, oh, man, I'm so messed up, and I have all these problems and shortcomings and this and this and this. And he's like, yeah, okay, we can work with that. In fact, let's work with that. It doesn't change the fact that he still rejoices over us with gladness. Again, not because he's needy, but because he delights in who he's made you and who he's making you into. Just pure delight. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Let me give you four walkaways. These are not mine. But I just, to be honest, I don't remember where I got them from. So, there you go. Four takeaways. The first one. A sense of awe. As I said earlier, this really should be pretty stunning. The independent, self-sufficient, holy one of the universe just doesn't need anything. We really can't fathom that because we see dependence everywhere. And we even see healthy dependence, which we'll talk about in a second, but he is holy. There should be a sense of awe with us as a response to this. Second thing, a sense of dependence. This kind of exposes our, our need for him. You know, and there's, there's unhealthy neediness. You know, we probably all have like that needy, needy friend, you know, needy whatever. We know there's like this unhealthy neediness, but there's a really, really healthy kind. That's us saying, okay, I am the branch of a tree that needs the trunk to live. And Jesus says, guess what I am? I'm the trunk. I'm the vine. You're the branch. This should heighten our sense of dependence. It should make us laugh at how uh, self-sufficient we tend to be. It should kind of make us scoff a little bit at how awesome we think we are and how we kind of don't need him and all those kinds of things. It should make us reject those forms of pride and realize that we are completely dependent. The third thing. Sense of humility. When you're dependent, you're very confessional of like, okay, I can't do this. I need you. Humility is not about us being self-deprecating and thinking like, I'm the worst. I'm terrible. I'm this. It's like, no, I am who I am and you've made me. It's not about me being less. It's about you being more, greater than I think I am. When we see God in, in, with an accurate view of his holiness, that humility flows very naturally. Fourth thing, a sense of gratitude. 
I mean, just being so stinking grateful that although he doesn't need us, he would choose us. He would willingly create us, willingly send his son to die and redeem us and buy us back. That he would not get fed up with our rebellion and our stubbornness, but that he would continually come to us with patience and grace. He would say, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And that we would just, just thank him. I mean, tell him, sing about him, be obedient out of that gratitude. Whatever it is, that we would be thankful. A sense of awe, a sense of dependence, a sense of humility, a sense of gratitude. You probably maybe have your own list. That's between you and him. But this is our God. This is a part of his identity. He's not needy. But he's made you and I in certain ways. Chooses to involve us because he delights in us. Now you probably have a list of reasons why you want to like make yourself an exception to that. So yeah, but I'm I I I do this or I did this or I once was this or I um, I'm going to do this, you know, whatever. And you're not awesome enough to make yourself an exception to this. I think that you're awesome. I think you're all awesome. You're not that awesome. You're not awesome enough. To make God something that he's not. And you're not. And whenever he says that you are loved and valued and cherished, that's who you are. Too often we get our sense of identity from what we look like, what we do for a living, if we make money or don't make money, uh, if we're married or have kids or single. You know, we have all these like categories where we gather our identity and God says, hey, none of that is really who you are. What I say about you is who you really are. And when you're his, you're his. First song tonight. We belong to Jesus. He is all we need. Put your fist in the air. Declare it. That's who you are. So, what do we do with this? Well, you respond that's the thing. You just respond to it. You push away from it. You say, I don't want anything to do with that. Or you say, I want everything to do with that. Give me more. I can't respond for you. I can just respond for me. The band is going to come in a second, lead us through some songs to maybe put some words to what's going on in our hearts. So how about you stand and let me pray over us as they come forward. And we'll respond a little bit before we go. Lord, to put it uh, very simply, there aren't a whole lot of words. um, There are a uh, a lot of thoughts and a lot of feelings. As we begin to really ponder this stuff and let it sink in, it just it stirs us up. And I hope that, you know, awe and dependence and humility and gratitude, that those are maybe help us to kind of put some structure to what we're thinking and feeling, but to know that we are 
here because you you just want us. That you aren't obligated, that you aren't you didn't lose some kind of bet, you know, you didn't you weren't bored. I mean that Father, Son, and Spirit at some point said, hey, let's do this. Let's create. Let's make the mountains and the trees and all these good things. And even though even though they're going to mess it up, let's make some people and through them, let's rise up a redeemer. Let's go to them. Let's save them. Let's lead them home. Let's be together forever on a new planet. You know, on the, on this new earth that we'll create and it'll be, there won't be any sadness or injustice or insecurity or any sort of question about how things are. It's all going to be all right. And it's going to be awesome forever. And to know that all of that is not driven by some need, but just driven by holy desire and love. So as we sing, just help us, Lord, maybe to put some of these ideas into words. And even though this first song is one that we haven't done before, maybe it's the perfect, maybe it's just the perfect way for us to respond together.